right, again, welcome to Perch.Church. Um, my name is Al. I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but my name is Al, and I am the pastor of Perch.Church. And I want to thank you for joining us today for our Sunday gathering where we are celebrating or observing Advent Sunday uh, focused on hope. I also want to thank Hannah for doing the scripture reading just now, and I want to thank Anthony, Riley, Ben, Paul, and the rest of the praise band for leading us in the time of worship earlier. Uh, as, I, as I said, today is uh, the first Sunday of Advent that we are observing as a church. Um, I don't know if you could see, but I have my Advent candles way back there. Uh, and it's lit. The, the, the candle of hope is lit. I don't know if you could see it, though. But um, yeah, I had to put it way back there because it's the only place over here where it's kind of visible behind me. And the word Advent, uh, it means uh, arrival or coming. And it is the season of like the four Sundays prior to Christmas where we are anticipating the coming or the arrival of the birth of Jesus Christ. And even if you look up this word on dictionary.com, which I will pull up for you right now, it will show the historically Christian definition of the word Advent. Now, Advent is all about waiting for the arrival of Jesus Christ into a dark and weary world. Let me repeat that. Advent is about waiting for the arrival of Jesus Christ into a dark and weary world. Waiting. <laughs> that word has taken on an entirely new meaning this year, hasn't it? It feels like all we're doing in 2020 <laughs> is waiting. Uh, for all of us, we've all been stuck at home waiting for a vaccine to come out. For parents like myself, uh, we're waiting for schools to reopen to kick my kids out of the house. Uh, for pastors, um, also like myself, we're waiting for churches to be able to gather together in person. And I know that many of you have been missing that. I know I've been missing that dearly. For small business owners, they're waiting for their shops to be able to function normally. For college students, they're waiting for a chance to get back on campus and see their classmates. For kids, they're waiting to be able to play with their friends indoors or on playgrounds um, without their faces covered in masks. And it seems like this year has, that's really like the theme of this year, well, besides the pandemic, right? Um, the overarching theme of 2020, it seems like waiting. And now Advent is all about waiting for the arrival of Jesus Christ to a dark and weary world. And while that may seem a little dreary for some of us to wait, or something or someone else uh, a little bit more there are different kinds of waiting right we could wait we could sit on our hands and do nothing and waiting could be kind of this like passive activity but the way that scripture encourages us to wait is to wait with hope and that's precisely why we as a church even though we are a new church, a, a church plant that is focused on 
uh, being a hospitable community for spiritual wanderers, misfits, and curious. Uh, we are observing this traditional season of Advent because uh, we all could use a little bit of hope these days. Now, the way that people have been um, handling this year, the way that people have been waiting, so to speak, uh, has been kind of all over the place, right? And generally, the way I see it is that people have generally fallen into one of three camps with regard to waiting in 2020. They're either struggling, surviving, or thriving. Most people generally fall into one of these three camps. They're either struggling, surviving, or thriving. And as I describe these, maybe you could resonate with one of these three. There are some people out there who are really, really struggling right now. You know, perhaps a lot of it has to do with circumstances beyond their control. Maybe they got laid off. Maybe they're small business owners and their small businesses had to close. Uh, maybe, you know, they're um, stuck in like nursing homes. Maybe senior citizens who are stuck in nursing homes and they can't see their family and friends and loved ones, which is very, very unfortunate, right? And maybe there are people who are struggling with like mental and emotional health issues that are have really taken a big hit this year, right? There are a lot of people out there who are really, really struggling. Then there are other people who fall into another camp uh, who are surviving. They're just kind of like taking it day by day and they're kind of like barely making it through. I think I fall into this camp, okay? Um, I'm not like, you know, you know, thankfully I'm not unemployed and, you know, um, you know, my family life is relatively good. I have like a wonderful wife and two great kids, but uh, I'm struggling, you know, as a pastor, um, I really long to be with my church members in person as an extrovert uh, who has like a lot of different relationships and I'm every day I used to meet with every day I used to meet with different people um, all the time and I don't get to do that anymore so like having that lack of relationships uh, in person has been really really hard for me so I just feel like I'm taking it day by day and maybe a lot of you are maybe a lot of you are in this camp of surviving then there are other people uh, i would say this is probably the minority of people who are really thriving right now okay um if this is you god bless you you are very very lucky uh but my wife becky is one of these people who's really thriving right now uh she's kind of killing it right and um you know she's an introvert so she's kind of okay <laughs> not seeing a lot of people all she needs is just a handful of people that she's close to and she's good you know and she talks to those people like often on a regular basis and she doesn't necessarily need to see them either right but she is in constant communication with these handful of people that she's really really close to and she is exercising a lot right now and you know every morning like she wakes up early in the morning right um she wakes up early in the morning like at 7 30. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not super early. But uh, for me, it's super early. Like as a survivor, as someone who's kind of like surviving through this pandemic right now. Dude, for some reason, just like a lot of race cars on the street <laughs> uh, this morning. Uh, but for some reason, um, you know, she wakes up super early in the morning and like, you know, she's like in her like workout gear. 
and I ask her like, "Oh, where are you going so early in the morning?" And like, like seven thirty, um, she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go work out. I'm gonna go to my exercise class, right? I'm gonna go to my outdoor gym." <laughs> and she's all looking all buff with her like cut arms and abs and all that stuff. And it's just so annoying. It just drives me crazy how well she's doing. And she's she's a graphic designer. And she's also picking up all these like freelance jobs and oh, she's like just killing it right now. And I look at her and I'm like, you are so annoying. So uh, if this is you, if you are one of these people who's like killing it right now and you're thriving, uh, I really, really don't like you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, good for you. Okay, good for you. Like, good for you. All right, good job. All right, now. Um, when I look at people who are killing it right now, um, people like my wife, uh, th- their idea of waiting is kind of different, right? Like she almost is never doing nothing, okay? When she, she, her idea of waiting is not just like sitting on her hands and like doing nothing. It's not, her idea of waiting is not passive, okay? It's active. While she is waiting for kind of life to get back to normal, she is keeping busy right she is doing other things she's reading books she's exercising she's working hard and it's like this active form of waiting right and it's kind of like waiting with hope because she knows that life will get better soon okay um she's not uh struggling you know and she's not like um doing nothing right and it's like this active form of waiting while we may be living in dark and desperate times, we need to hold on to hope. Knowing that the morning will come and things will get better. And as we take a closer look at the passage, uh, Romans 5, we will see a great purpose and reason for holding on to this hope that I call today a uh, living hope. Living hope. Even when the world wants to strip away any semblance of hope that we may have, the arrival of Jesus gives his followers a living, breathing, and active hope that can weather any storm, conquer any fear, and power through any pandemic. So the passage that uh, we're looking at today is found in the book of Romans, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. And it's not a typical passage for Christmas or Advent, but it's very fitting for today because it's all about hope, okay? And today we're observing hope not only because it's Advent Sunday, but it's something that we could all use a little bit more of these days. So um, a few minutes ago, um, Hannah just read from the book of Romans, which was a letter that was written by Apostle Paul uh, to the church in in the city of Rome. Now, many people are under the impression that Paul wrote to a church that he started. uh, And it's natural for people to assume this because that is the case with the majority of the letters that Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament. But Rome is actually not one of these cities where Paul started a church. In fact, Paul has never been to the church in Rome uh, after he became an apostle. Okay, he if he did he may have been arrested or executed, okay, just as his ministry was starting. But he did correspond with the church in Rome fairly often, okay? And Paul wrote these uh, letters, uh, especially this passage that we're reading from today, okay? 
He wrote these exhaustive and theologically robust letters to the church in Rome for two main reasons. First, Ro the Roman church was located in the largest city of the world. Um, and I'm sure you've heard of the city of Rome. And because of this, Paul knew that the church in Rome was going to be very, very influential. So Paul wanted to make sure that they had the right worldview and the right perspective on God. And the other reason why uh, Paul wrote this really, really robust letter to the church in Rome is because it was not started by an apostle, okay? And so its theology was a little shaky, okay? And so their view of God was mixed in with other religions at the time, particularly with Judaism. Now, in the church in Rome, there was a group called Judaizers, okay? This little sect called Judaizers who would try to force all the Christians uh, who were not Jews to become Jews prior to becoming Christian. All right, and so just think about this as a non-Jewish person, all right? Um, just living your entire life just, you know, as a non-Jewish person and all of a sudden these people and, and you want to become a Christian and all of a sudden these people are saying like, no, you have to eat a kosher diet. You cannot shave for men, right? And um, women have to keep their head covered. And oh, by the way, if you're a dude, you have to get circumcised before you can <laughs> call yourself a Christian, right? Just think about like, how jarring <laughs> that is, right? And so for uh, most of the members in the church in Rome, they were not Jews, all right? They were Gentiles, as the Bible will call it, Gentiles. And so this was a big <laughs> burden for them, right? Oh, before you believe in Jesus Christ, you have to get circumcised, <laughs> right? And imagine you're like an adult, you're like a 30-year-old, right? And you're like, what? no one's going <laughs> to circumcise me, right? So uh, this was a huge burden, right? And so Paul was writing this really, really, really um, robust letter to the Roman church, teaching them the foundational truths of Christian faith, one of which was you don't have to become a Jew <laughs> to become a Christian, all right? And Ro uh, Paul himself was a Jew, all right? And he's saying like, no, no, you don't have to eat kosher, all right? You don't have to like dress a certain way, okay? You don't have to like get circumcised prior to all of this, okay? And he makes this very clear in the beginning of the book of Romans. He says in Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. Okay? And he, and he lays it out, okay? And he says he is going to guide them and teach them the true gospel. And the primary false teaching that the Roman church was faced with was this uh, teaching of salvation by works, right? That you can only be a Christian if you work at it, right? Which is the opposite of the true gospel that teaches us that salvation is only achieved through the good work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are to put our ultimate hope in Jesus, not ourselves. Okay? Not in the law and not in the works that we can accomplish by our own efforts. Now, I imagine if Paul were to write a letter to uh, a church in any city today, I'm certain one of those churches would be to the church in Los Angeles uh, or L.A. County or greater Los Angeles. Because like Rome, Los Angeles is one of the largest cities in the world. And it is this place where we are influenced in L.A. County 
by many, many different cultures and especially religions. And so, and we blend it with Christianity, okay? And it's kind of become blended with uh, our faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the incorrect teachings that we are faced with today is if you believe in Jesus Christ, your life will be comfortable and you will experience less pain. And this is absolutely false. This is absolutely not true. God never promised us riches, power, or comfort, uh, or earthly comfort if we follow him. In fact, he promised us often the exact opposite. He will tell you that you may not be as rich if you follow him. He commands us to be humble instead of being power hungry. And he promised us that we will experience discomfort and even persecution if we choose to follow him. Jesus said things like, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Or anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Or whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But do you know who does promise riches, power, and comfort? The devil. <laughs> the devil says things like, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, you will become like God. He also says things like, I will give you the entire world if you bow down and worship me. He also says things like, if you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. Satan is the one who tempts us through riches, power, and comfort. However, the devil promises all of these things, but ultimately leaves you empty. God, on the other hand, promises you humility, growing pains, and even discomfort, but ultimately leaves you feeling peace and experiencing peace living a life of peace this is why we put our hope in god and this is the first lesson that this passage teaches us about hope is that hope is a prerequisite to peace hope is a prerequisite to peace look with me at verses one and two of today's passage again therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now that word justified, that is found in verse 1, it means to be made right. Okay, It means to be made right. And this is the good news of Christmas, is that the Son of God came down from heaven in the form of a little baby, and lived a perfect life and ultimately died an undeserved death on a cross and resurrected back to life in order to make things right between humanity and God. Jesus came because there was no way any other human could have done what he did. And so he made everything right between humanity and God. And so it had to be his perfect life it had to be his um, spotless blood, his perfect blood, 
that paid the ultimate price on the cross to make all things right between humanity and God. And that's what it means to be justified. And this gives us peace. No matter what circumstances may surround us, we can have hope because of the peace that we have through Jesus Christ. And how fitting is it that the first Sunday of Advent is hope, and then the last Sunday of Advent is peace. I don't know if you knew that, but um, there are four, the four Sundays of, of Advent is hope, love, joy, and peace. And it's because hope is the prerequisite to peace. Hope is the prerequisite to peace. Um, I'm going to share with you something fairly personal. Okay, this past Tuesday, I went to go see a doctor, and he was a special kind of doctor. He he was a sleep specialist. Uh, he was a neurologist who focuses on um, sleep. And uh, back in October, I I did this like sleep study. I'm gonna see if I could find the picture and share it with you. Um, I did a sleep study where they hooked up all these like wires to my head and to my arms and to my legs and, and to my chest. And I slept at their facility overnight. And um, in, in, in the beginning, it was just you know sleeping with all these wires connected to me. And then in the middle of the night, they woke me up and then they put a, a CPAP machine on me, which is for sleep apnea. And it was very, very uncomfortable. But um, after that night of sleep, um, here, I actually have the study with me here. Um, this is probably not professional <laughs> to show you this, but uh, who cares? I'm not very <laughs> professional anyways. But it, it, you see here, um, it shows the number of times I woke up. Now, it may seem like a lot, but uh, these little spikes right here, these little um, spikes... Uh, along this that's the whole night of sleeping and those spikes are the number of times I woke up now that might seem like a lot but everyone kind of wakes up from uh, from time to time but if it's like a sustained uh, awakeness then um, they they count that as uh, um, like interrupted sleep right and um, after that night I, I, I realized like or they told me that I woke up 13 times throughout the night I had no idea that I wake up that much now, the reason why I share this with you, because it is related to hope, okay? Um, I have a really, really strange relationship with sleep, and I didn't realize this until relatively recently. Uh, I, I used to hate going to sleep when I was uh, a teenager and a kid, because that's when, like, my parents used to fight all the time, like, late at night, right? So, even if I fell asleep, I would wake up, right? And, um, you know, uh, uh, when I would be in bed, I would be afraid to fall asleep because I was anxious about my kids, my, my parents fighting in the other room again. So I just have this really, really strange relationship with sleep. And so um, there came a point where I didn't want to sleep because um, I was kind of hopeless, right? And I didn't think life would get better. And so, uh, you know, eventually as an adult, I get, my sleeping got better, but these past several months I've been feeling particularly more and more anxious and so I've had difficulty uh, going to sleep again I've had difficulty falling asleep I, I just don't want to go to sleep because I was afraid and I was anxious and I found it difficult to wake up in the mornings 
but slowly but surely god is starting to like give me hope again that things will get better and because i have this hope it caused me to see this neurologist do this sleep study and find active ways to get better right and this is uh, a good segue for the other purpose of um, hope that we find in today's passage is that hope sustains us through suffering hope sustains us through suffering look with me at verses uh, 3 and 4 of today's passage in Romans chapter 5 not only so but we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope now the first thing that might stand out to you when I read this passage is that like uh, it says rejoice in our sufferings and I don't know what version of the Bible that you may have um, but uh, other versions of the Bible say glory in our sufferings but uh, and that sounds weird right why would anyone rejoice or take glory in their sufferings that's just strange right but the best translation of this word <coughs> the best translation of this word you know which is glory or uh, rejoice in our sufferings is actually boast right we boast in our sufferings and that doesn't mean like you're happy about suffering okay that means you just simply talk about it that means you just talk about it okay and this is what i love about the bible the bible is realistic okay god is realistic with us in terms of our faith I, as i shared earlier god doesn't promise you a life of riches comfort and power okay oftentimes he promises you the opposite right um and, and we are going to experience suffering, uh, not just despite our faith, but sometimes as a direct result of our faith. And that's kind of unavoidable. And hope and perseverance go hand in hand. People without hope can find any reason to quit or give up or stop trying. If this is you, I really want to encourage you and, and even challenge you to don't quit keep going okay it's now i'm not saying it's you know you should never quit ever okay it, it's okay it's okay to quit sometimes but it, right now is not the time to quit right now is not the time to give up on your faith and right now is not the time to make major life altering decisions making major life altering decisions during times of crisis or trauma uh will ultimately lead you to regret it later on in your life organ there, there have been many studies uh done on this okay organizational psychologist and professor at university of cambridge uh sunita saw said this when we perceive a threat in the environment the amygdala often referred to as the center of the brain becomes overactivated at the same time the emotional regulation center of the brain is underactivated and the prefrontal cortex which is required for thinking is also underactivated which makes it very difficult to think clearly this means that when people tend to make major life decisions during a time of crisis or trauma let's say for example hypothetically during a global pandemic they tend to make decisions that are out of their character they tend to make decisions that they normally wouldn't under quote-unquote normal circumstances 
And so if you're thinking of doing something very drastic right now, uh, don't. <laughs> okay, you, make, you, you might make a decision that you will ultimately regret later. Do not lose hope, especially now, because ultimately hope does not disappoint. Okay, and this is the last thing that we can learn from today's passage is that hope does not disappoint. Author and uh, pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City, he, he, uh, Tim Keller wrote this. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Now, this living hope that we have, we are not deceived or tricked into what the world promises of comfort and power and riches, all the while waiting for uh, something better or something uh, horrible to come. Our living hope realizes that we are living in dark and desperate times, but because our hope is in God, not in the world, we can persevere. And this is why hope and perseverance go hand in hand and hope sustains us through suffering. And ultimately, we have to remember that hope does not disappoint, right? Hope does not disappoint. Let me read for us the last verse of today's passage, which is Romans 5, verse 5. It says very clearly, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. The reason why I am still a follower of Jesus Christ is because God has never disappointed me. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had my fair share of struggles, suffering, and sadness. But ultimately, I know that God does not disappoint. Sometimes I have blamed my struggles on God. Um, you know, immediately after it happened or while it's happening. But after some time passed and I was able to see the big picture, I realized like that actually wasn't God. That was either me not listening to God or me following other promises like the promises of the world. Or I, I put my hope in other things or in other people outside of God. Now this hope that we put in God, it's not blind optimism or naivety. It is a blessed assurance that even when the world is shrouded with pandemics, protests, poverty, or presidential election conflicts, the people of God can remain steadfast because our hope is in God and hope does not disappoint us. The other day I read this article in um, Forbes magazine about the founder of Zappos.com, the giant shoe online shoe uh, store, Tony Shea, about how he died. And um, I, I shopped from Zappos.com all the time, and I really looked up to the CEO and founder of Zappos, Tony Shea, a lot. And uh, when I heard about his death, I was really, really sad about that, as were many, many. Um, many many like other CEOs and prominent figures 
And uh, but this magazine, uh, this uh, Forbes magazine article was really, really sad. It was really, really um, revealing because it showed that even though Tony Shea had, you know, hundreds of millions of literally hundreds of millions of dollars, and you know he sold Zappos.com to Amazon to, for 1.2 billion dollars in stocks and shares, he was so successful. But once the pandemic hit, he kind of went into this like downward spiral. Um, of like heavy drinking and like ignoring the um, suggestions and advice of his loved ones and family members and friends and kind of surrounding himself with yes men and ultimately that led to his death that led to his demise and it's just it was just really sad you know and it just reminded me that like if we place our hope in this world we will surely be disappointed if we place our hope in how much money we have or the level of success or um, in anything of this world, we will surely be disappointed. But if we place our hope in God, He will ultimately lead us to this place of peace. Because hope is the prerequisite to peace. Hope sustains us through suffering and hope never disappoints us hoping in God never disappoints us so the question I want us to uh, kind of focus on and meditate on throughout this week is this this is the question of the week is how can I be more intentional about living with hope how can I be more intentional about living with hope usually we close with uh, a prayer that I would pray for you all I'm dropping my sheets over here. Um, but today I want to close for us um, from this book that I love so much that I've read from before in the past. It's the Morning and Evening Prayer Book by Jeannie and David Gushy. And one of the prayers from this month in December actually comes from a hymn, uh, an Advent hymn that I love so much um, by Charles Wesley Okay, uh, in the 1700s. And we'll close with this prayer today. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, Born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Amen.